0: This to, this me, to is me is me like, like
1: the really, really fascinating, fascinating material. material. We
2: don't know
1: what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns.
0: I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story
1: slowly begins <laughs> to But Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind blowing We can't just believe. Hello, Aaron. Yeah. Hi. How you doing, sir?
2: Good. How you doing?
1: Good. Good. We were just having a discussion about maritime law. (laughs) Okay. What do you know about such things?
2: I I grew up in Indiana, so not a lot. Well, see, I
1: was not familiar with this whole concept and the sovereign citizen movement. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the a gold fringe on the flag. Yes, that's it, that's it, yeah. <laughs> we, had a, we were just talking about that,
0: yeah. We had a governor, uh, who, or someone who ran for governor here a few years ago who, uh, that was on his platform.
1: Yeah, in Tennessee oh, here, yeah. wow. Basil Marceau, wow. otherwise known that, as basilmarceau.com.
2: That's a great
0: name. He yes. made it to, like, the Jimmy Kimmel show and stuff. I mean, yeah. it was he no. was so hilarious that he became, like, a... He became wow. a meme, I guess, before people called internet memes that. Actually, yeah. you know,
1: like, go, it, we're done. Go to YouTube and look up Basil Barceau. I think it's M-A-R-C-E-A-U-X. <laughs> he's, like, from my hometown, too, in Tennessee, oh, wow. which is crazy. That's... But, well, wow. technically, I guess, he's, like... I'm from Chattanooga. He's from Saudi Daisy. We don't really like to claim those people, but.
2: <laughs> the South has such great names for things.
1: Yeah. Saudi
0: Daisy. Saudi uh, Daisy, yeah. Tennessee. What, what,
2: what is that? That's bizarre. What is a Saudi um, Daisy? Yeah. Is it like Saudi Arabia Daisy? <laughs> it, I really like have no clue
1: where it comes Daisy. from. <laughs> I really have no idea where that even wow. comes from.
2: Do they, do they dismember journalists with bone saws in,
1: in they that may. town? Or? They okay. may. They may. I, I know if they you don't was... vote for
0: Basil Marceau.
1: Yeah. Well, they're, <laughs> they're famous for Basil Marceau, and they're also famous for their high school that looks like a women's prison. <laughs> in which the uh, the vice principal got in some heat from basically blaming the dress code on the girls saying that the girls ruined everything.
2: Oh my goodness. That actually
1: made national news. Yes. Yeah, Saudi Daisy, Tennessee for the second that, time in four years made national news.
2: That is, that is wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I see a picture of the high school here on Google. Good grief. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, you know, what's, what's sad is, is when you said it, the high school looks like a women's prison, I can just sort of picture what that looks like. So I don't know if I've, you know, been around too many women's prisons or something but it's just like oh yeah that's a, that's a reasonable way to describe something
1: by the way we started the interview i just wanted to let you Th- that's know fine. that's I'm, I'm fine i'm starting this I'm... new tack where i'm trying to sound less like a bullshit radio announcer and be like welcome to Conspiracy normal guys try this whole new thing where we just kind of go right into it um, it's
2: it's a good thing that I I always sort of assume that I'm being recorded at all times. Yes, you know, my, yes. My, my paranoia. Like every good
0: off. conspiracy theorist, yes, yeah. always
1: yes. assume. I, I did want to let you know that um, last night I listened to the one about Woodrow Derenberger Woody Derenberger. Oh, yeah. And I did want to say that any mystique that I may have had about Indrid Cold has completely thrown out the window. <laughs>
2: He had a cool
1: hat, man. <laughs> a little cap. Yeah, you know, I it, because my whole thing is about uh, okay. seeing, you know, my whole introduction to Indrid Cold, I think most people, it was a Mothman Prophecies movie. Yeah. Of which we got to speak to the actual screenwriter of that not oh, too cool. long ago, Richard Haddam. But, uh, you know, he's all kind of mysterious and it's this kind of like mystical thing. But as Woody Durenberger describes him, Indrid Cold was just some guy. And I love the part, I mean, you had me rolling on this one, where he gets on the uh, ship with Indrid Cold and his, what was, now I'm going to draw a blank, what was his co-pilot's name?
2: Oh, um, Ardo. Um, Carl Ardo. Carl Ardo, yeah. yes. Yeah, Carl.
1: And Indrid yeah. Cold had a wife named Kimmy.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: And there was, what was the other one? There were two oh. other ones, Daryl and... and uh, George or something like that? yeah there that. was there
2: was Daryl yeah Daryl and George something like that so just like the most the most mundane names you can think of and uh, you know spaceman Larry and Daryl and and their other space brother Daryl you know for, 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 <laughs> for people who are old enough to remember those guys but from from New Heart. but yeah, uh, yeah it, it's it really is a uh, it really is a story that's that's been. Keel like did a little bit of it sort of adding some mystique and then the movie of course and then in later years there have been some some really strange theories about Indrid cold being a, a government agent and, and all sorts of things darren berger's daughter um tanya spelled very oddly like t-a-u-n-i-a tanya um has uh written a book um something like you know my family's 50 years with indrid cold and and he would she describes all these times when when, like indrid cold would just play with the kids when she was a kid and he was over he and carl were over all the time um for for cookouts and stuff and and she seems she seems um sincere uh yeah do you
1: think it's odd it's a possibility that somebody i mean maybe it wasn't as nefarious as like an mk ultra kind of thing which i know we're going to get to later but that somebody could have just been messing with Darren berger I, I
2: think i think it's possible yeah
1: there's there's yeah. all this whole there's, there's. there's this whole thing about it in as you describe it that the spaceship was just it, there wasn't much to it
2: right yeah, it was. It was like they had bunk beds. I mean, like, like wooden bunk beds, like you'd see in a in a kid's room or something. And yeah, I, there, there's a lot. And then later, sort of, it gets upgraded in in later later tellings of the story to be more spacey. But but yeah, it's it's very much that this is I'm on a spaceship. But golly, it just sort of looks like a room. But I guess I'm on a spaceship. And the drawings from the uh, the original. The original book had had these drawings of the control panels laid out. And it was it was very much, you know, buttons and levers that were that had labels on them that, that said very sort of, you know, I was going to say a flux capacitor, but, you know, like, like, you know, <laughs> thrust or, yeah. or yaw, very uh-huh. non-spacey terms. So, yeah, I, I think the idea that this is some sort of, um, yeah, I, I like to. I, I, I can I can get on board with with the idea that was some sort of bizarre you know psyop to 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 do what I'm not sure but uh, maybe maybe just to mess with him um, maybe just to mess with Woody a little bit um, yeah I, I I'm not sure that's where, and that's where a lot of these a lot of these sort of things fall apart is is, is when you try to come up with some sort of rational reason why somebody would do this um, and and you sort of end up with a, uh, they're probably kind of evil so who knows why they do the things they do but i'm yeah. absolutely being being stalked by people with microwave ray guns pointed at my head uh which is why i wear this this tinfoil hat uh you know so <laughs> he's cur- pr- currently the the whole targeted individual thing that uh that i don't know i don't know if it's still around a couple of years ago it was oh huge. it's, it's um, still around yeah. is, is it still around oh, I, yeah yeah. I uh, yeah. I occasionally I'll read something that seems vaguely normal, and then near the end, the person will just sort of point out they've been a targeted individual for their entire life, and I'm like, ah, now what do I do with everything I just read? Because that sounds crazy, but not. It sounds too crazy for them to bother targeting you, about, because you you, you aren't credible. You aren't a credible person, so why would they target you? That, that's that's where I always sort of see it fall apart for me with some of the the people who claim the government or somebody is trying to shut them up. It's like, why? They should just let you talk because you sound nuts. And you know, regardless of of what truth you may have, you you present yourself as someone who doesn't need to be listened to, if that makes sense. So right. right. Although, Making somebody, you know, actually just doing a couple things here or there to make somebody think they were being targeted enough that they start talking about it discredits somebody much more than actually eliminating them. Um, Of course, if you look at
1: it on the obverse of that, if you, if they, if it's the perfect cover because people will just think that they are crazy and that you could actually be, because I, I think that that, you know, as it says in our or I say in my in the intro, that technology there's technology out there that really does exist that that you oh, can yeah. do it. Now I don't know about in the sixties, like at the time of Woody Derenberger, well, but I know, um, you know, now that it's it's definitely there.
2: Yeah, there's a book. I, I got a book, um called uh I'm pulling it off the shelf now to make sure I get the title right. Uh Were We Controlled? The assassination of President Kennedy by a guy calling himself Lincoln Lawrence, and this was published in uh, 1967. And he talks about a lot of um, sort of mind control type things, the uh, the business of mental programming, he calls it. And there's stuff it talks about Jose Delgado and the implants and yeah. all this stuff in 1967. You know, long before the MK Ultra documentation was ever declassified. So, um, yeah, I, I think in the 60s, especially the late 60s, when, when Derenberger had this stuff going on, there was, I think there was technology out there to do this. And it, it might have been a sort of thing where, why would they target somebody like Woody Derenberger for, you know, psychological shenanigans? Why not? He's an average guy. He's an appliance salesman. He's right. an appliance salesman in West Virginia. He's nobody special. So why not try this out on somebody nobody's paying too much attention to?
1: And the thing about the Woody Derenberger story is it gets so lumped into Mothman. Yeah. Because I think because of Keel, that Keel yep. put it in there. Because it's happening at the same time. But, I mean, it's, what, it's miles and miles away from Point Pleasant? Y-
2: yeah, it's, um, Mineral Springs is a ways Um, but there there were, there were sightings, um, all over the Ohio Valley, but yeah, it was, it was a ways away. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't close to, uh, to Point Pleasant by, by any means. I mean, West Virginia is a small place, so, you know, not, you know, it's all, it's all relative, but it, it took place in November of of the year, you know, weeks before the Mothman, the first Mothman sighting. Well, the, the the first Mothman sighting of the Mothman wave. I mean, there's the whole Mothman has always been with us and Mothman will always be with us. And Mothman was seen 42 times in Chicago last week. And, you know, there, there's, you know, the Mothman continues, but it, the Derenberger <laughs> thing happened in such proximity to the Mothman thing that it, it just gets conflated in a lot of cases. And, in a lot of ways, I, I think that the Derenberger case is very much a, an old school contactee thing. I, I think right. I said it on, on the episode. It, it doesn't, you could take this story and, and put it in 1952, and you would think it's, um you know, the same thing. It fits right in. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it's 1966, 1967.
1: I love the part where he goes to Lanulus. And he meets the, like the old couple from New Mexico. They're living on Lanulus. Yes, and it's just like the most mundane thing. It's like they're from such and such place in New Mexico, and yeah, you know, George it's, and it's, Ethel.
2: And I met them? It's <laughs> so ran- it's so random. It's so random, and it, it's so random and charming. And you know, you you, you know, you don't believe them, but you believe. That he, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to make up a story in 1967, why this story? Right. A- and that's what I what I come back to with it is, it, you know, it's one of those things where where I can't make any judgment one way or another because it's it's just kind of too weird. But for the most part, I think yeah, something happened to him that he portrayed in a certain way because literally like within days of his experience, he is on TV in West Virginia telling his story and sounding, sounding nuts. And, um, you know, it's, and he opened himself up to, to ridicule and he opened his family up to ridicule and they, they, he ended up losing his job moving around and, and he didn't write the book the publish the book until like 1970 or 71. And then it was, um, I actually got the book from interlibrary loan because it, it's almost impossible to find the original book. But I, I, I got it, and it's from Vantage Press, which was, you know, one of the one of the the big vanity publishers of the time. So he had to lay out probably hundreds of dollars to get a trunk full of these books to sell at whatever you know public library he was giving a talk at, and, and so he didn't make money off of this. Why would you put yourself and your family through this um, for for nothing? And and again, in in the late '60s, you know, this is not the heyday of contactee stories. Ten years earlier, he could have made some money, but I, I, it's it had run its course by then. Yeah, it really had. Um, It it, contacteeism was was pretty much done, and so there's no reason. There's no there's no sane reason to, to, to do this to yourself. This is no way to live. But uh, which which leads me to think that that something happened. Um, I like the idea of, of some sort of psyop, especially with the uh, the mundane nature of the spaceship.
1: Well, have you heard Nick Redfern's idea that the Flatwoods Monster was some kind of weird
2: psychological
1: yeah. operation?
2: yeah i have and um that that would
1: almost make more sense to set up some kind of like weird mechanical thing in the woods and see what just see what people react to it you know right yeah and and it's
2: such a it's such a goofy monster yeah uh that it really it really does sound like in some ways a a horror a 50s horror movie monster you know come to life and Maybe it was, right? It's it's a guy in a suit. Maybe um, it looked like a man in a suit. Well, there you go. Maybe uh, it was yeah, a, man in a suit. Maybe it was. It's, it's, it's a guy named Fred from the CIA. You <laughs> it's know. Carl Ardo. It's Carl Carl Ardo. <laughs> Carl Ardo is on loan from uh, from Lanolos. Well let's to, leave uh, to scare the kids.
1: Let's leave Indrid Cold and Carl Ardo and Kim yeah. behind and let's talk Jimmy. about some conspiracy theories. Um,
2: okay.
1: So this book, uh, I believe you wrote it about three years ago. That
2: sounds about, about right.
1: About yeah. uh, about conspiracy theory. I mean we uh, both Surfio and I have read it. Um I ended up finishing it. in finishing it today, but it's um, it's called "Conspiracy Theories: The Roots, Theories, and Propagation of Paranoid Political and Cultural
2: Narratives." I and, did not come up with that subtitle. That was ah, uh. <laughs> it's so long. Um, yeah, that that one was was imposed on me i had no title for it I covers told the publisher, it publisher. Could, could you think of a, t- a title because i got nothing uh so the, yeah it, it does sort of sort of check all the boxes so what's your what was
1: your reasons for writing this book kind of why you wrote a comprehensive
2: historical review of these all these basic conspiracy theories i hate money um no um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it, was, um, it was it was was partially uh, partially in response to to having having accumulated a lot of conspiracy stuff and a lot of conspiracy knowledge and and background as I researched the the flying saucer stuff the UFO stuff uh, so I had all this all this research that was sort of incidental to the to the UFO thing I I, I should do something. I should do something with this, and and then you know I was like, well, what should I do? Because there's a lot, there's a lot of of scholarly focused conspiracy books out there. There there really are, and I was reading um, Michael Michael uh, Michael Barkin's um, culture uh, culture of conspiracy, uh, apocalyptic some apocalyptic visions in America or something like that, and it, it it's really really good. It's it's probably the best. Overall, scholarly look at uh, critical scholarly look at conspiracy theories, but it was uh, it was a little old because I I think Barkin died uh, shortly after the second edition came out, and and it's it's I don't want to say it's it's not sympathetic enough to conspiracy theories, but it it doesn't it doesn't go into detail on on some of the stories because it, it covers such a such a broad range, and it doesn't really I couldn't really find anything that that connected the conspiracy theories to the actual um in some cases the actual conspiracies that were behind the the out of control that sort of at the root of the out of control theorizing. So I thought, well that that might be good. So I I was like how can I make this sort of sort of manageable and and I didn't succeed. I kept restructuring it, you know, as I went because it it just it's not conspiracy theory stuff, so it just sort of sprawls everywhere. And I had all my outlines and flow charts and, and thought maps and everything. And I, 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 oh, man. I didn't, I, you have like the Illuminati
0: the... pyramid with all the connecting yeah. The dots. And...
2: Yeah. And I, I never quite got to the point where I had like the giant cork board with the, yeah, the that's, that's what we want to see connecting man. things. I, I never quite got to that point, but I, I wanted to to sort of look at, at some of the conspiracy theories that were and are, current and, and sort of trace them back to what actual things were going on that spawned what in a lot of cases is is, is speculation that gets that gets out of control and and, and what I found was, was that you know at the root of a lot of these there were things that were that were there none of these were just sort of created as fictional constructs, there was something that they were based on, or something that was reinterpreted, or blown out of proportion, or misinterpreted, and it, you know, it, it just sort of the the theories and speculation just sort of snowball from. The, I'm making snowball gestures with my hands. You can't see it. But, um, <laughs> things, things are snowballing. Um, so that's that's sort of what I what I wanted to do was was sort of look at at what historical um, historical truth Enos might uh, might have been behind some of these
1: it's it's the first book that I've read that has taken because you are a historian and that has taken that kind of historian approach to to this of like looking at okay this is the root uh, where this comes from this is you know this conspiracy theory gave birth to this conspiracy theory and on and on and on and also kind of also giving like a context of really saying that some of these these conspiracy theories that we deal with some of them get like their chronologies just plain wrong like Mm -hmm. there's the one about the uh tavistock institute that was founded in 1947 and but was claimed to have an influence to bring America into into World War One. So it doesn't really work yeah. like when you really think about it. And I I've encountered this again and again where it's like, OK, that there's no way that's possible. Like nobody did their fact checked. On this
2: right. Right. It, it's it's very, you know, very in, in some cases, in some cases, pretty sloppy, um, just just really sloppy. But it's sloppy. You know, because they're, they're trying to make a point. The big Tavistock Institute guy, um, I don't know if he's still alive. Um, John Coleman, uh, who wrote Committee of 300 and, and wrote sort of a bookish booklet on, on Tavistock and, and Committee of 300 was, was probably one of the first conspiracy books I read back when I was in college, um. I think somebody had had typed the whole thing out into a text file and uploaded it to Usenet in like 1995 and it was uh, it, it, it blew my mind because it connected it connected this this small cabal to to everything Good. and um, I, I think the problem is I mean what what sort of jumped out at me was it, it connected everything and everything isn't necessarily connected Um it wasn't quite David Icke levels of obsessive dot connecting, but <laughs> it was it was close. And I, I, I think when he went into an extended thing about how uh, how the Beatles were oh, mind yeah. controlling young people. through Adorno their
0: music Adorno created all their music. Right. Isn't that it? Right.
2: Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm thinking the Beatles. Really? Yeah. Out have all the bands out there. You, you just pick the one that that most people have heard of right um, it's just like yeah no there are bands out there saying much more evil stuff than the Beatles uh, but you know it, it's, it's, it's just everything was tied up into too neat of a little bow you know um, and that's you know real conspiracies have things that you can't quite explain because we don't have all the information whenever anybody claims to have all the information about how everything works they uh, they, they might not
1: yeah very true uh, you start the book out with a, a section on secret societies, and I I thought this was interesting from the point of view of looking at how this is almost a reaction to the beginning of the Enlightenment.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it, it's. It's interesting because we always hear about the the Bavarian Illuminati and uh, right and, and why the Bavarian Illuminati? Why were they so secret? Why were their governments trying to suppress them? You know, they were trying to foment revolution. This is a revolutionary movement, and then it gets connected to communists and anarchists and and every other every other sort of thing eventually by at least by by um, by right of center. Um, Conspiracy theorists, and it uh, gets connected to fascism by the other side, but um, it gets connected to, uh, to 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 sort of you know these sorts of things. And you know, I was I was looking at this, read this big book um, published a few years ago, um, well, probably about ten years ago, about the history of the act, the actual history of the Bavarian Illuminati. And one one thing that jumps out is is we are we as Americans and 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 British people to a degree, but but especially Americans. We, we seem to forget that in 1776, when the Bavarian Illuminati was established, we seem to think sometimes that that every place on the earth, people were having the same sorts of ideas about political and personal liberty as – People were having in the in the American colonies in the United States, and and they weren't. And in in the German states, in Bavaria, for example, um, talking about the kinds of freedom from the the political power of the church and and freedom to uh, to say no to the sovereign and to have some sort of some sort of political check on the sovereign's power. This stuff got you thrown in prison. So of course, you if you wanted to debate that or challenge that or talk about it, you had to have a secret society. And, you know, well, we didn't have that in America. Well, no, because we're sort of, you know, Englishy descended American people who, you know, are pretty much on board with at the very least checks on, you know, royal power. And and that wasn't the case in mainland Europe. And so, yes, from a, a mainland European perspective, these were dangerous, radical revolutionary groups. But but they really weren't at the time, from from American perspective. So our fears about revolution in the the 20th century get get um, projected onto you know a, a different context where it might not be entirely appropriate.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's my favorite um, on the uh, Illuminati conspiracy is that. Adam Weishaupt helped, um, came over and killed George Washington and
0: took his place. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my favorite one. conspiracy part of the Illuminati conspiracy. And Robert Anton Wilson pushed that one, I think.
1: Yeah, that's the thing about the oh, Illuminati stuff is that, like, um, well, some he had of that such an is, influence on
0: on getting it in this popular culture that that right. is in now. I mean, without what they they made a conscious effort to do that, and now the ripples of that are still going on. The Discordians, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about the, about anything from Wilson is, is there, there are people who read, who read like the whole Illuminatus thing and read other things that Wilson wrote and say, well, you know, Wilson discovered that, you know, fill in the blank happened. And, and it's like, no, you know, you know, that's fiction, right? That, that it's it's a funny <laughs> book about this type of thing. And Wilson was, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, laying out what was actual historical truth in a lot of cases. He was, you know, riffing on on these sorts of, these sorts of, of cultural ideas. And right. not, not that he didn't have some, you know, solid conspiratorial ideas of his own. Uh, but, you know, not everything Wilson said was meant to be taken at face value. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like Adam Weishaupt, you know, killing George Washington. Yeah, yeah. Probably.
1: <laughs> probably taking his place
2: hedge. and taking his I'm gonna, place. Gonna hedge my bets there.
1: <laughs> I wonder if I it mean, was kind of like uh, Al Bielek being age regressed. I wonder if that it has Oh my it, gosh.
2: Do that? <laughs> so Al Bielek oh.
0: It seems like you you go from that into uh when you're talking specifically about conspiracy in American culture, how the uh this theme at the onset of the Republic was that there was a threat of a return to monarchy of some sort, you Yeah, know? we had the, you know, wars with, uh, you know, England and then with other kingdoms. And so, you know, that, that was like the, the big conspiracies at the onset of, of America.
2: Yeah. At the very beginning, there is, is, is a, a concern from I, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, just, you know, group people by, by political figurehead because it's, it's easier. There's the, the Thomas Jefferson type of people who are, are very concerned about, um, about the Alexander Hamilton type of people, just not really caring if we, if we just stay in, in Britain's economic and diplomatic and political orbit, you know, we're independent, but you know, Britain's are, our allies, so we're just going to hang out with them and, and basically take their side against France. The Jeffersonians were like, hey, wait, no, no. Britain is bad. If we become independent of Britain, we need to support the French Revolution, or right. we need to support France in their war against Britain. Both sides are concerned about foreign subversion. Um, the the Hamilton Federalists are worried about radical French Revolution ideas sort of infiltrating america and making us uh, making us chaotic and dangerous um, the jeffersonians are worried about uh, about basically being a de facto colony of britain again if hamilton and his uh, his allies have their way and so both sides the the first political party system in the country um the federalists versus the the democratic republicans You know, that was all based around these factions who were worried about what our sort of position in relation to Britain and France was going to be. So that fear of foreign subversion leads to um, leads to laws like under John Adams, the Alien and Sedition Acts that were, uh, you know, on the surface aimed at preventing foreign meddling in our elections, but really, really was about, you know, keeping out people who might become citizens and vote for Jefferson. So. You know, they lengthened the amount of time it takes to become a citizen and, and things like that, and, you know, had the power to expel people, um, had the power to lock up newspaper reporters who, uh, who were critical. So there's this fear of foreign subversion and and conspiracy theories grow around that. And then when Britain becomes less of an issue um, after, after the War of 1812 and in the 1820s, the, 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 the outside subversion fears turn to uh, turn to um, secret societies like the Freemasons and you, you have the, the anti-Masonic political party pop up in in sort of opposition sort of to the secret society, but, but more to the fact that it's the same crew of people, especially in New York state that always have all the political power. And it's, it's always these, these, these damn Masons, right? It's so they must be, they're up to no good. They're if they're not, you know, agents of, of an evil foreign power, they're they're just kind of undemocratic and elitist and and we need to uh, we need to eliminate them. So there's always there's this long running fear of of outside or foreign subversion or some kind of alien influence, even if it's not a physical invasion from elsewhere, an ideological um, invasion from elsewhere, something un-American seeping in and you know sapping our vital bodily fluids right so yes this yes. is a con- constant theme yes the, the
1: the bavarian illuminati thing gets started around that time i think it's like 1790s that the that that first book is published that uh, says that the illuminati is trying to destroy the new republic and like as i understand it that's that's when that it, it's that's a pretty, it's a pretty old conspiracy theory, almost yeah. as old as, as this country.
2: Yep. Uh, yep, it was around from the very beginning.
1: Talking about um, some of the influence of religious paranoia on this line of thinking, and there was one book that you described that I have never heard of called Th- Occult Theocracy. That's oh, theocracy yeah. with an S by Edith Starr Miller. I had never yeah. heard of this, but this apparently was pretty um, influential.
2: Yeah, it was, um, and it had a lot of a lot of influence on later conspiracy theorists um, that that sort of proposed there was a um, that that there was an outside occult force that was working to to undermine. Uh, to undermine the United States, and it goes into the Rosicrucians, and it goes into the the Cathar heresy, and it goes through all these um, these religious ideals all the way back to uh, to the beginning of human civilization. Um, the, the beginning, is called something like the the secret secret, and it talks about Albert Pike and and, and all of these sort of um, sort of things and if you listen to 1990s conspiracy theorists like especially like uh like bill cooper your favorite and his your favorite. my favorite i i have a i have a real soft spot for bill cooper i i really do not in a not in a this guy's on to something sort of way but he's just so interesting to uh to listen to but if you listen to his um or, or read about his mystery babylon Stuff. It, it's very, it's very much the taken hour of for, the time, the hour of the time, <laughs> it, it's the, the the curfew of your body, soul, and mind. That a sort of voice like this, and the dogs barking and the sirens going off. Oh, it's. it's I listened to it today. Um, so <laughs> it's fresh in my mind. It, it's it's good stuff. And and a lot of the the mystery Babylon material is very similar to what um, Miller was saying in uh, in a cult see there's a guy Manly Palmer Hall who wrote uh, a book called The Secret Teachings of All Ages in the early 20th century that uh, that goes into into the same sort of thing the ancient uh, the ancient occult brotherhoods and and their symbolism that they've seeded throughout human history and and how they're 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 doing things behind the scenes so you 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 read enough of this stuff and and you start to see the same sort of signs and symbols everywhere that they do. And suddenly you sound like Jordan Maxwell or somebody talking about <laughs> Holly, Hollywood. The movies are, they talk about the magic of Hollywood because Druid's wands were made of Holly wood. Yes. And, and you're like, well, Makes sense to me. Yeah, I guess I, 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 and that's the thing. That's the name game. Are, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. This, um, I just got done reading, uh, Reading um, Adam Go-Reilly's, uh book on James Shelby Downard.
0: Oh, and, uh, yeah, you get into my territory now. That,
2: that messed me up, man. And then I read, then I read King Kill Thirty Three and, and and all that stuff. Oh and man, it's, and it, we're, it we're kind of getting off up. track
0: here. Maybe we'll save this for Patreon after we do the main discussion because we can really. It,
2: it, it, I I don't really understand any of what Downard says, so cool. <laughs> so we won't get too far off track. I, he's confusing to me. You but, need to read um, Carnivals
0: of Life and Death, and then you'll be very confused. I did. Yeah, I, I did. Even, more, <laughs> even more confused. Yeah,
2: I have no idea what he was talking about at any given time. Although I'll, it would make a I, great action movie. The only thing I know is it, it ha- none of that could have happened. No, <laughs> no, none of it. I, it, it, I don't know. He's a
0: pretty badass little kid, man. Oh gosh. <laughs>
2: he's to have a higher body count by age 10 than... Well, than than most people um yeah but uh, <laughs>
0: gosh. it's but crazy
1: the... we did actually a book review section on a show about that we actually talked about it.
2: <laughs> i could not finish that thing was... <laughs> it, was... it was
0: so well written
2: too <laughs> oh gosh it was nuts it was nuts and um then i well, was like should I go to that town in Oklahoma where he grew up and, and see if anybody knew him? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, guess but... what?
1: Go rightly has, um, he is going to put out, um, part two. Cause he has some of Downard's writings. Ah, and part yes, two is I've going to be coming that. out. Yeah. 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 And the, uh, the,
0: the, the, the tape recordings of the, an interview with James Shelby Downard has been re-released by, uh, Jim Brandon. He, he, it was mentioned in uh, Cosmic Trigger by Robert Anton Wilson. That was mm-hmm. a tape that that he had, a tape called Serious Rising that I guess was circulating in the underground. But uh, Jim Brandon has put it back out, and you can order it from him on CD. It's got a nice little I, cover uh, and everything. I actually um,
2: I just recently sent some money for that very purpose to Lauren Coleman um, uh-huh. to, to get a copy of that. Uh, Lauren was handling some of it, uh, some of the transaction-y stuff. So hopefully I get it. Cool. Because I have no idea what else I would do with my time than, <laughs> than, than, listen to that. But if you if you look at if anybody out there looks at, at Downard's stuff and his his sort of mystical name symbolism stuff, it's very similar to to what what um, Manley Hall and uh, Edith Star Miller. It's all this idea of of hidden meanings that if you know the right. Like you said, if you know the right magic words and the right secret names, you can, you know, sort of peel this this layer of of camouflage off of reality, and and see how things really are. And, and then what people do is they sort of connect all that to to every political and social and cultural event that uh, that they see, and they view it all through this this lens of of occult conspiracy. Uh, so there's there's that sort of that sort of spiritual side to it, um, it overlapping with the political and then, and then more conventional uh, more conventional sort of Orthodox religious groups have fringe elements that do the same sort of thing. And,
0: and so Miller connected these secret societies to the political subversion of the time and right. the communists. And that right. kind of, that was, was that really like the, fir- I guess the Illuminati thing was kind of the same thing. It just, the, it was, it was Republicans and not communists.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're they're like, Oh, there's, there's a secret, there's a secret force out there that that's seeking to undermine our government and our, our society and our way of life. And so, um, Miller published a cult theocracy in, in, I I think the thirties, the early thirties. And, you know, if if you are a, uh, if you're an aristocratic British person who is looking at the world, then it's, it's sort of the, the, Darkest, deepest part of the Great Depression. What are you going to look at as the enemy? Well, you know, communists are, you know, on the rise in in Britain and the United States in the thirties. The Communist Party was never more popular than it was uh, in the nineteen thirties. So, um, connecting connecting the occult uh, the occult bad guys to the uh, the communist bad guys is, is something that. Bill Cooper was still doing in you know 2001 when he died.
1: Well, before we get to Cooper, I did want to ask you real quick. uh, Why you didn't include the taxol hoax?
2: Um, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to remember why I didn't do that. It's been a while. It's been three years since it came out, and that means it's been about five years. Since yeah. I wrote it. Um, I think I think the reason is um hmm. Where was he from? France. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's why I didn't do it. That that's I think that's probably why. Keep it I didn't in do
1: a, do it. an American context.
2: In America. yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I, I think that's I was trying to think, and I'm like, I remember reading about it. I remember Sort of looking at it, and why didn't I do that? And yeah, it was I. I sort of excluded a lot of the, the European stuff um, because because it was it was a big enough project already. So that's that. It, it's a practical reason rather than a content reason, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, makes um,
2: sense. So it was more of a I don't have room for this. So, and, and the the secret societies. Section that could have, oh man, well that, that could be the be whole book. book. Yeah, that yeah. every chapter in this thing could be its own book. Yeah, absolutely, which, which is why it took me forever. Well, not forever, I got it done when it needed to be done, but if you make them, I it, will buy them. Yeah, yeah, it's like I. I am I am nearing the end of my target word count and I I still have two chapters to go. So
0: yeah, it's a relatively
1: short book. I mean it, it it's only like just it's 201 pages.
0: So but it's yeah. packed, man. Yeah. It really packed a lot though.
2: Yeah, the uh, the publisher, you know, they've they've done lots of uh, on length of books that sell and and so they're like it needs to be in this sweet spot right here because more than that and um, more than that and, and the price goes up less than that the price doesn't go down enough to entice more people to buy it so they, they've got a, a very sort of sort of narrow window uh, um, unless there's something you know you know some sort of major revelation which I didn't have but um, but yeah it, it, it did it was pretty compact it, it was very sort of concentrated too like you said so Bill Cooper yeah. As I said, Bill. that's your favorite guy. He, he has. You've um, got
1: a, you've got like a shrine to him in your closet.
2: I I don't, but um <laughs> because if I ever have law enforcement come over here for any reason, a, a shrine to Bill Cooper would, would probably not not be great. But um Bill but you Cooper you know
1: is- you know that you're a conspiracy theorist when you have you, you should always have your copy of Behold a Pale Horse.
2: Oh yeah right next oh, yeah. to the holy bible right there it's right yeah. there it's, it's like here's the here's the word of god the word bill cooper um, do not do not confuse the two or else two. you're a tone um, poser yeah that's right that's right um actually if i walk into a person's house and they don't have every jim keith book i'm like what are, what are you what are you doing with your life you, know, it, 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 it's, you, you don't have you don't have you know the octopus in, in, on your bookshelf, it's like you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Uh, but yeah, be, behold a pale horse and, and Bill Cooper. And there's a new, uh, a new biography called uh, pale horse rider by, uh, Mark Jacobson about Cooper that just came out. And it is really, really good. Uh, he, he actually went out and talked to Cooper's, uh, Cooper's pal Doyle, and uh, and got and, and some of Cooper's former some of his many, many former wives who left him because he was an abusive drunk. And you know, it, it's a real insight into Cooper, the, uh, the the very dangerous, frightening person. but yeah, Cooper, he it, just a thumbnail sketch for people who might not be aware of him. He, he comes on the scene in the late 80s as part of the uh, the the John Lear. Krill papers, Area 51, alien abduction, alien cover-up, alien contract with the U.S. government. They give the government weapons in exchange for being able to abduct people and experiment on them. People are implanted and they're going to rise up as an alien fifth column and take us over at some point. And Cooper claimed that he had seen documentation confirming all of this when he was um when he handled intelligence briefings for the commander of the Pacific fleet when he was an enlisted man in the navy and um so he's he's one of these uh, he's one of these former military intelligence UFO whistleblowers that's how that's how he sort of arrives on the scene and um very quickly it becomes clear that that he's that he's more than that because if you look at his ufo stuff he starts putting other stuff in there that's very much more political conspiracy material and probably one of the probably the two biggest things that ended up in the alien stuff that he that he put up on bulletin board systems and the the pre-internet was he had um some discussion of the uh the the rex 84 plan to round up political dissidents and put them into prison camps uh when you know the new world order takes over so that sort of a, a more of a political conspiracy thing that he inserted in there and also uh cia drug running and the cia sort of using drug sales especially to um to inner cities and urban areas in the united states as a way to fund various black projects and and he's talking about that in ufo stuff and It's, it's easy to, to forget this or easy to not have known it in the first place, but there was a time like 30 years ago when you did not have that degree of crossover between UFOs and, and sort of hardcore political, political conspiracies. You, you, You didn't have that. And Cooper starts to do that. And then Cooper gets himself in trouble because, um. John Lear and a guy named John Grace cooked up the O.H. Krill document as sort of a sort of a sort of a hoax, sort of to see what people would think. And uh, it's 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 sort of a basic rundown of of the government collusion with the aliens from the viewpoint of a, a hostage alien that the government had. And Cooper says, well, "I saw that in the Navy too." And he says this like at an interview for like a TV show or something, and like they're on like a, a, a station break or something. And and Lear, you know, like the story, Lear's Lear's story, and whether or not you believe every word that comes out of John Lear's mouth is is a, you know, that's between you and the Lord God. But you know, <laughs> he, he he takes he takes Cooper aside and he says, "Bill, what are you talking about? We me, me and me and John Grace made this up." And Bill's like, "You're lying." I saw. Oh God! It. And Lear's like, no, no, I, 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 made it up last week or something, and and so and so Cooper begins to lose some credibility. Uh, Don Ecker, um, the uh, director of investigations for UFO magazine, um, does an expose on Cooper in UFO magazine that just just sort of disassembles almost every claim that Cooper made, and Cooper would hate Bill Ecker. Um, until the day he died, because of that. Um, if you if you want a good time, if you want a good time, um, if you're doing nothing on a Friday night or something, get yourself a beer, go to the internet, and. Um, go to uh just google hour of the time um mp3 or whatever and all of bill cooper's old radio shows are up on there there's one from 1999 called reply to bill english and um cooper in that episode cooper goes off on this epic rant against don and vicky ecker of ufo magazine talking about how don was never a cop he was actually a failed corrections officer who didn't lose his leg in the line of duty. He accidentally shot off his own leg because he was drunk and playing with a shotgun. Um, <laughs> says he was lying about his military career. Says that Vicki Ecker started UFO magazine as a CIA front operation of to course. disinform the UFO community Makes because sense. Vicky Cooper was a prostitute for the Mayflower madam and was caught and so the CIA basically entrapped it, it's it, it's like basically you know he, he's like Don Cooper's a liar and his wife's a whore it is it, is sort of <laughs> Cooper just goes off on this and Ecker you know has radio shows from like just the last few years where Where he's like, I need to clear the air about Bill Cooper because some idiots, you know, think he was a hero, and he will just go off on, on. Oh yeah,
1: I've
2: heard him. Yeah, awesome. It it is, it is awesome. Um, I, I was, Ecker was on a show, and there were call-ins, and I was like, should I call in and ask him if his wife was a prostitute for the Mayflower, (laughs) madam? Like, should I do that? I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. That's, oh. I, and now I I have regrets about not doing that. I I just think it it would have been funny. Or just say, hey, I've heard. Have you heard about Bill Cooper, uh, Don? What what do you think of him? Do you, do you think he was on the up and up? So Cooper is basically drummed out of ufology, and and he uh, he he turns it around, saying, you know what, UFOs aren't real anyway. It, it's uh, yeah. it's all it's it's yeah. all a a, a deception to uh, to bring about the new world order because we're all going to have to band together to fight the fake alien invasion. Right, and he gets into the the which he probably borrowed
1: stuff. from Watchmen. Really, if you yep. think about it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Was and just uh, because and he fraud- was
0: getting a good response from from that material, he was dabbling in with like the more conspiracy oriented. He's like, man, screw it. I'm just going to do this. I, I
2: think I think once he realized that um, that there was there was an untapped audience yeah. for, for some of the conspiracy stuff. And that sort of, his. it's hard to pinpoint exactly when the transition took place. It's sometime around 91. It's after behold a pale horse is published in like 90 or 91. But, um, but before, before 93, cause by 93, he's, he's on the, you know, UFOs are all, you know, they're, they're not from space they're they're man-made they're they're to deceive you um but it's it's a gradual change but if you look at if you go on to youtube you can see lots of videos of him doing presentations back in the early 90s and like 10 hour long presentations and um he's transitioning out of the ufo stuff more to the new world order government conspiracy um sort of thing uh, and eventually this gets uh in, he gets involved with the militia movement although that's that's a weird thing because he always sort of cuz bill could never you know be the second best at anything right he he always sort of talked about how his militia that he was a part of the the second Continental Army of the Republic and, and the intelligence service that he was, he was the head yeah, of the intelligence right. service for the second Continental Army of the Republic and the citizens agency for joint and Intel- He's like a kid making up these little clubs <laughs> with names i mean i did this when i was in like third grade right me and my buddies have a have a club there's three of us but we all have there's a complex systems of like like hierarchy and rank and and what we all do in our club right bill's like 50 doing this and and you know he's got some people on board with him he's got his his operatives all around the country sending him raw intelligence newspaper stories but raw intelligence and um his relationship to the rest of the militia movement in the 1990s is is kind of unclear. Um, he He didn't like a lot of them. he He did not like the uh, the the freeman in Montana, uh, the Montana militia. Um, freeman, yeah, Montana Freeman, I think that's what they yeah, were called. they yeah. They had a standoff. and And he was like, these guys are idiots. You know, this is, you know, the government is using them to maneuver. Into a situation where they can justify taking all the guns because that's what everything was, but um, he he didn't get along with with anybody really, um, and then he he gets into the tax protester stuff and turns out he he hadn't really been filing his taxes, and so he was there was a warrant out for him and his wife's arrest, and you know he turns this into you know. It's a standoff against the government. It wasn't really because after Waco and Ruby Ridge, the government's position on Cooper was eventually he's going to go into town for groceries and we will just arrest him. We, we are not going to storm his house. There's an autobiography by a guy named Steve Fillerup, who was the FBI agent who basically dealt with Cooper. And there's a chapter on Cooper in his uh, autobiography. I think it's called uh, Heaven's Hammers. Uh, and it's it's pretty good. It's, a, it's It's a pretty good read. But um, but he's constantly pleading with the IRS, you know, and the, the federal marshals don't do anything stupid because Cooper Cooper has made it clear that he is not going to be taken alive. So, you know, and so on his radio show, he's talking about, you know, his family's up there with him and they're they're secure and they're happy. And if you look at his FBI file. Which has been released. It's out there on the internet. Um, his family had already left, and the FBI was talking to them. They were like in hiding in Los Los Angeles. Cooper was telling his radio listeners that they were actually overseas for their own protection. No, his wife had up and left him because she was scared. So it, it's it's just a fascinating story, and and listeners yeah. have probably heard or have the impression that they've heard about that he was killed by the government. Um, that's what the story usually is gunned down by forces of the new world order or something <laughs> like that but what happened is is he he, he threatened um he threatened a, a a prominent doctor in town and the doctor was went to the police like what are you going to do and there was new there was a new sheriff and the new, new sheriff, sheriff in town
0: <laughs> arizona too uh, yeah,
2: yeah and, and the Yes, seriously, like new sheriff in this little town in Arizona, the old sheriff had been content to let Cooper just sort of, you know, you know, basically let himself be under house arrest, which is what he was doing. Um, New sheriff wanted to to sort of make a name for himself. And so they come up with if you read the Jacobson biography, it goes into detail on their plan and how it all went wrong. This this plan to basically lure Cooper out of his house and arrest him in the middle of the night. And, um it doesn't work. And Cooper ends up uh, ends up shooting a couple deputies and then ends up getting shot himself. Um, and it was it wasn't about the tax thing. It wasn't a federal operation. The feds were not entirely pleased with how everything turned out. Um, this was a a local law enforcement debacle. Um, but that's what they want you to think, right? But um, so but much. Cooper, of
1: these- Oh, sorry. Go on.
2: No, I was just going to say, um, it, it's been it – was, it was November of 2001 when this yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And um, so 17 years. And if you go on message boards and stuff now and on Reddit, there's 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 you know there's noobs showing up saying, hey, have you guys heard about William Cooper? <laughs> Is it true they killed him because he revealed the truth about 9-11 being an inside job? Because Cooper basically invented that on September 11th. He's sort of just thinking out loud and riffing on this stuff and and he comes up with this inside job thing, like on the day. and, and he, he's sort of he's just sort of the conspiracy savant. Um, and and, you know his the UFO stuff is is almost entirely forgotten. For a while, I was, constantly going back and putting the ufo stuff back into his wikipedia article because people kept taking out all the ufo content and i was like no he was a flying saucer guy wikipedia Um, wars seriously i was like then i realized i I gotta do something with my life this is this is no way to live um well it's it seems like
1: with so many of these guys like cooper um their deaths are self-fulfilling prophecies
2: yeah yeah, he he knew how he wanted to go out. Right, I'm he, gonna he go out on play of glory. Yeah, because yep. otherwise, uh, because otherwise he's not he's not credible. Because if he's telling the truth, they're going to to silence him by any means necessary. So it, it's a way to um, it, it's a way to ensure that his message lives on. Also, you know, I, I think he realized that hey, Bill Cooper would not have done well in prison. I, I that he was not going to go to prison. I don't know. They sure liked his book
0: in there from what I've heard. Yeah. uh, The (laughs) Jacobson book goes into that
2: quite a bit. Uh, And that's, that's one of the things about Cooper that I I was not, you know, really fully conversant with is just how much influence he had in the nineties hip hop community. Um, Oh yeah. With, with, you know, just all the references and, in in music and everything to, to Bill Cooper. And there was a, a quote, that uh that that sticks with me it's something along the lines of i can't remember who said it but something along the lines of like we always knew that the cia was trucking crack into the ghetto and now here's some cracker in arizona saying the same thing like we'd never heard a white guy say that before Hmm. and and so like there were some things that that resonated and and it sort of it it sort of um belies some of the the sort of I, i think in a lot of cases, sloppy and lazy accusations of, of Cooper being some sort of generic white supremacist Um, because he wasn't, Um, he, he was, he was not always as, as careful with his discourse on race as (laughs) you might want to be, but, but he was not, he wasn't some sort of, you know, white nationalist, type of conspiracy theory, And he would come and out there, and made
0: that pretty clear a lot of times. On yeah. The
2: there, there were, oh, some sometimes some of these, uh, some of these uh, white supremacists would, would call him on the show and yeah. he would just, he would just take him apart. And like, you know, after informing them that his wife was from Taiwan, would, would sort of explain, um, you know, why they were wrong. There's a great, um, you can find it on YouTube, there's a great listener call in where he basically convinces this guy that being a neo-Nazi is is dumb. And the guy's like, I never looked at it like that. You know, like, like Cooper basically talks him out of his neo-Nazi beliefs on the air, which is, which is just—you don't hear other conspiracy guys in the '90s with radio shows doing that sort of thing, and it, you certainly don't hear it now. Um, Didn't he have some kind of weird idea to like buy a bunch of stock?
0: <laughs> in different companies Facebook. or something. Um, media companies,
2: yes. Yeah. Uh, this this is my this might be my favorite plan that anybody has ever come up with. Um in order to get the uh the, 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 the mainstream media to cover important topics fairly and from a constitutional perspective, and by various topics he almost always means gun control and income tax. Those are like the two it, it was probably the most concerned about for a lot of this time in, I want to say 1994 or 1995, he comes up with an idea to, to basically purchase a, a major media company. And and he, there's one episode of the hour of the time where he literally reads from stock prospectuses word for word. It it is, it is radio death. It it is. I I listened to the whole thing, but it was horrible. Um, And he finally, You know, alights upon um, Gannett, which um, was in the process of buying up a whole lot of newspapers around the country and was the company that started USA Today, which by the mid 90s was finally turning a profit after like 15 years. And so his plan was to have listeners buy shares of Gannett stock, which was like 50 bucks a share, you know, so not cheap. And then go to a notary public once they get all their stock paperwork. Before we did all our stock stuff with an app on our phone, and we actually got, you know, paperwork. I'm old. I remember that. And um, you know, then take your take your paperwork, dear listener, to a notary public and sign over your proxy voting rights to Bill Cooper. And he was going to get all these notarized statements that he had people's proxy votes, and he was going to go to the 1995 shareholders meeting. And with only 15% of the stock, he would be able to, to command a controlling interest in Gannett because of something. I can't remember his reasoning for why that would work. But he, he, he and then he, wow, <laughs> he figured if he had like a controlling number of shares, he would automatically have the power to dictate editorial policy. And, you know, ignoring the fact there's like 100 people between major stockholder and guy writing the editorial, right? You, you don't – I mean I guess you could fire everybody working for the newspaper and replace them with people who – well, the, with the staff of his newspaper Veritas that he published. Replace it with the Veritas staff. And, you know, I guess USA Today would be the Bill Cooper show. But it's it's the dumbest thing ever. And And the best part was nobody went along with this. He only ever had like two or three people, I think, actually buy the stock and send it to him. A very small number. And there's one episode of the show from 1995. You've listened where he to a just, lot of these. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Um, I I've too, listened. It, it's <laughs> it's addicting. And, and you, you sort of figure out the pretty intro, quick which man, the The intro comes on. Have you
0: heard of oh. it, it with The sirens or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. got sirens and dogs. Dog. and It's like a... <laughs> The curfew.
2: Uh, the curfew. <laughs> the curfew of your body, of your body, soul, and mind, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's it's. Don't listen to it at night. It, it'll it'll freak you out. But um, but he he. There was this episode where he just goes on this epic rant against you know the lazy, good for nothing people out there who won't stand up and buy some shares of Gannett stock to save America. Yeah, and and, it, and he, he puts it in those terms, like when the jackbooted thugs of the New World Order haul your family to the camps, you know, don't come trying to me. <laughs> this whole thing. Um, it, it's, it's outstanding. He is he he is the, the angriest it might be the angriest man of the decade. And and Bill Clinton, when he was in the White House, actually singled out Bill Cooper as you know, a dangerous, a dangerous radio host, and um, and you know, after the Oklahoma City bombing, it, it comes out that that Timothy McVeigh and somebody else uh, that was unidentified visited Cooper and uh, were, were sort of asking him questions, and Cooper was like, you, you know, these guys are kind of nuts, and like, don't do anything illegal, don't do anything stupid, and uh, you know, good day, sir, and and you know that he was, was, was asked about it by the FBI and he, he told him that story. And, and there's a um, story, I don't know if you've heard that McVeigh claimed that he had a microchip uh, in, uh, in his butt cheek. And um, he asked Cooper to feel his butt cheek, to feel the microchip. and, and <laughs> I Cooper heard story. Cooper yeah. Cooper, decli- yeah. Cooper declined. Uh, but in, <laughs> in later years, Cooper said, I wish I would have. You know, once he knew what happened, and he, he wishes that um he would have he would have done that to know if there was a, a microchip or not. But um yeah, it's uh it's, things uh, get a little uh, weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh it's a it's a wild scene. It, it's a wild scene there there in Arizona. Do you uh, do you uh, think but... that Alex Jones stole his stick? Yes, I do. I, I think Alex Jones stole it and doesn't do it as well. Because I I don't when when Alex Jones you know sobs and cries and screams I don't believe it I mean we all know he's just Bill Hicks anyway but you know even if (laughs) you even if you you sort of just take it at face value it's it's forced he's always come across as as so contrived The, uh, the 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 running around the woods to spy on Bohemian Grove and the tears and the, the histrionics it's, it's an act. Bill Cooper's anger was not an act. Um, I'm not saying he believed every word he said all the time, but his anger was real. Um, and and I think that's what makes him such a compelling figure is, it, and, and to, to listen to, even now is, is his anger is real and his happiness when talking about his kids or reading a letter or taking a phone call from somebody else who, you know, who, who fought in Vietnam and, and sort of reminiscing about stuff, you know, there's Cooper has a genuineness about him. That doesn't mean that he wasn't a, a, a dangerous and, and, and sometimes very frightening figure, hmm. but, um, but He's honest about uh, about some stuff, and I don't I don't I don't get that from Jones. I, I think yeah. Jones is jo- Jones is Jones is very 21st century playing a character, and, and yeah, he's 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 playing a role. And as he as he said in what was his, uh, his custody hearing, right? Yeah, yeah. He, mm-hmm. he came up, but but you know, he's he's just you know playing a game. You know, he's, that's what he has to say. He's really he really believes it all. I like, no, no, I, I don't think he does, and and I don't expect him to. I'm kind of glad he doesn't believe it all because that would be troubling. But um, you know I, cooper Cooper had a a raw, frightening honesty to him.
0: So I think this is a good segue. Me and Adam have been talking a lot about um, how, because of the internet and just the the pace at which the culture, the culture has changed and these conspiracy conspiracy narratives have continued there's kind of a disconnect with this kind of nineties, uh, old school stuff that had traceable roots, you know? And I think a lot of the people at the time were aware of the roots of a lot of these narratives, but what do you think about, um, kind of what's going on now in the, this, this culture, where it's going and the themes and, we're seeing a lot of leftover stuff from the nineties yeah. You know, the satanic panic stuff. Still the, the, you know, children and pedophilia stuff and um, yep. all these themes that just are keep being recycled. Uh, what do you, would you have imagined that these themes would still be going like this? I mean, I guess yeah. they have been going since what the middle Ages. Yeah, so I, it I really-
2: yeah, right. You know, I, um, I, I'm not, I'm not surprised what I am. um, What I am. I don't want to say saddened by disheartened by um, a little bit is that I, and I I never quite know how to, how to explain this without sounding like I'm, I'm being all, you know, get off my lawn, but conspiracy, (laughs) conspiracy stuff has gotten dumber and more shallow since the '90s, yes, and I, I, uh, I blame the internet. Yeah, uh, I, I blame the internet because there was a time where to know, to learn about any of this, unless you were hearing, listening to it on a radio show, but it, those were in like little one-hour chunks, and it was you couldn't really get a full picture of anything. You had to go read stuff, even if it was stuff on the internet. I mean, most of what I learned about conspiracy stuff back in the '90s was was massive long text files that were hard to read. And because we didn't have tablets, I'm staring at a CRT monitor and, and probably getting, you know, eye cancer or something. And you know, you had to read and you had to put stuff together. And now there's like these little 15 minute YouTube videos that tell you everything you need to know in a neat little listicle about the conspiracy. And it, it's a very sort of shallow surface level sort of conspiracy thinking. And another thing that that is you know, sort of sort of troubling and a development that I'm not entirely happy about is there's always it's always been the case that that the conspiracy theories one was attracted to were an outgrowth of the political ideas you had or the political beliefs you held. Um, something that i think is slightly different nowadays is the conspiracy theories that people adhere to are very much an expression not of their political philosophy but of their partisan identification it's you know if you look at a lot of the 90s conspiracy theory people they they one of the sort of tenets of conspiracy thinking is if you when you dig even a little bit, you realize that the that all of this is all of this is a sham, right? That that's sort of that's actually very damaging cliche as far as you know the political life of the nation goes. But this idea that that it doesn't matter because because they're all hanging out of Bohemian Grove together. You know, they're all on the same side, and that's the side of of the globalists or the corporatists or the fascists or the communists. Um, But now it's the Democrats are doing this. The Republicans are doing this. The party structures have become intertwined with, to a greater degree, with how people view their political philosophy. Um, Or these,
0: instead of it being some international, uh, you know, evil organizations, it's like, oh, no, it's just the the Democrats themselves are uh, doing uh, rituals and have, uh, you know, this pedophile networks and uh you right know, have this yeah. evil religion to them you know it's pizzagate man
2: it's it's pizzagate isn't the illuminati pizzagate's the democrats um and uh you know, and, and and there are there are left-wing conspiracy theories that that jump into the same jump into the same area but i i think i, I do think in a lot of ways um the the most sort of complex and long lasting conspiracy theories in America in the 20th and 21st century tend to have been more, more right-wing conspiracies. Just if if you sort of total them up on the, on the big, on the big chalkboard, it's, you know, it, it it tends to, it tends to break that way. There are smaller sort of, sort of micro conspiracies that, uh, that that tend to be more, uh, more left in, in their leanings. Um, cia drugs into inner cities sort of thing uh tends to be more of a a left-wing conspiracy theory Um, right uh you know right-wing conspiracy theorists would say well that's what they want you to think to excuse the horrible drug behavior you know so it's you know i i think the 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 partisan identification is something is something that's changed whereas yet somebody like bill cooper you know had a hand in in, along with a, a guy named aaron russo in starting up the constitution party um, in in the United States in, in, which, which those are some fun uh, some fun episodes of the show too where he, he goes into reading off a list of where the Constitution Party is meeting in, in every state in the Union or something. Jimmy's Diner at 7pm on Tuesday the 7th to go there and tell Fred that Bill says hi. You know, so <laughs> that, that sort of thing. So whereas, whereas now it's like, it, you know, this conspiracy is a conspiracy for, by this party against my party. Um, back in the day they're like, we need to create new parties. We need to create a new party and get yeah, back to to some sort of some sort of fundamental.
1: I think it shows just how much that uh, and and it's on the right wing. I mean, it's on the Republican side, no doubt about it. Where they, that they have really co-opted the conspiracy theory community to get to get votes to get elected.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty amazing. It, it's it's pretty amazing and pretty troubling Um, stories and narratives that I would see on, on various websites. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is right wing, like fringe right wing conspiracy stuff. Not, not just sort of, you know, that, that lousy, that lousy Clinton, not that kind of conspiracy, but, but just sort of the, the really scary stuff I'm seeing not word for word, But you see talking points start to pop up in more mainstream, uh, more mainstream right wing media in, in, you know, politicians, spokespeople's spokespeople's. Spokes—that's well,
1: a word. Well, just, uh, just like the statements. whole uh, the whole George Soros thing now. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing people, grandmas for
0: and uh, and old aunts, like commenting yeah. on people's stuff on Facebook, telling them about George Soros. <laughs> when, yeah. when,
1: when Chuck Grassley says, "I think there's something to it," to a reporter, that's like what?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those it's it's one of those is this real life sort of sort of moments yeah. where we're talking points from from you know the, the the fringiest most overblown um piece of piece of david d's artwork on certain websites showing an evil david tattooed soros you know pouring a bucket of immigrants into america you know it's like this is this is in the
0: halls of congress now
2: and and that's uh that's troubling um
0: well, That's the, num, num, yeah. yeah, the Republican Party, though, had you know, when when the birchers were really on fire, they really yeah. played the role of moderation of extreme elements, and that was kind of the yeah. official narrative and everything. And and so now it's like, you know, they have just you know blown it wide open and encouraged all this you know and, and- are you yeah. saying
1: that we should bring the birchers back so we got some control over the <laughs> over the nuts i mean that's yeah the birchers had a like. lot
0: more sense than these yeah, guys I mean, yeah uh,
2: yeah oh the birchers had no idea what to do after the communists went away
0: like what i'm scared <laughs> caught them off guard didn't they
2: yeah there's a, uh, a really good article that was published like in the last couple of days on uh, the baffler Uh, The Baffler magazine about the 1992 election and sort of the splintering of the Republican Party into the paleoconservative and neoconservative wings and sort of the role that David Duke's attempt to run for governor of his run for governor of Louisiana played and the rise of Pat Buchanan and the shift towards that more uh, that more sort of sort of extremist viewpoint, which which was always more at home with the, uh, the sort of widescreen conspiracy theories. It's, it's a long article, but, uh, but it's good. And, and it, it sort of made me feel old that my high school and college days are now being discussed as, as a historical moment that's uh, <laughs> kind of sober, you know, like, well, you know, it was like 30 years ago so, yeah, or 20, 20 years ago. So.
0: I, I know the feeling. I think I'm
2: yeah. around, the, around the same age as you. But it feels
0: like you, there's so. this huge historical disconnect, even though it's not that far away. I mean, it, it right. seems like. yeah.
1: Um, well, there's just, there's, as your book has proven, there's historical disconnects all over the yeah, place and all that. of this stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it, it just, it just feels like, um, the nineties the feel a lot longer ago than they were. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's been a long century so far here in the, <laughs> here in the 21st century. I, yeah. well, I,
1: we cannot end this interview without talking about Peter Beater, which is a very <laughs> unfortunate name.
2: I, yeah, I can see why he always said Peter S. Beater uh, when he wrote it down, but no, he would, he would always, he, oh man, Dr. Beater. Um, Dr. Beater was an interesting, Peter Beater was an, I'm oh, sorry, that's juvenile, but uh,
3: Peter Beater was an
2: interesting guy. And um, it's just his name, guys. Uh, uh, but <laughs> um, he was, he was, he was, a, he was a, a, an economist, business finance guy back in the 70s who, who started doing these these audio letters basically before he didn't have like a radio show or a shortwave show or anything. He would send out these cassette tapes once a month and it was mostly conspiracy theories about um, the dangers of the Rockefellers. That was his, his big bad guy was the the Rockefeller political and financial dynasty, which if you are a, um, a sort of extreme, Goldwater, Birch-style right winger in the '70s, the moderate country club Republicans. I mean, the the Rockefellers were like the the, the poster child for moderate country club conservatives right. in the 1970s, and uh, and one of them was uh, uh, Nelson Rockefeller was vice president. Um, was he elected vice president? No, he was appointed because you know Gerald Ford took over and then appointed. Um, Rockefeller would be vice president after Watergate, and and so the Rockefellers were taking over. But the, the weirdest thing about Peter is concerned about the Rockefellers' power and influence behind the scenes. It's that he alleged that the Rockefeller-led conspiracy um, had perfected the technology of ro- organic robotoids, um, <laughs> basically doubles. And um, Gerald Ford had been killed and was a robotoid. Jimmy Carter and his entire family were Robotoids. Um, and you could tell by watching on TV, you know, that they weren't quite right after, you know, they went away for Christmas and they came back and clearly had been replaced by ro- organic Robotoids. And, you know, there Makes was, sense. you know, there was a, a covert war in space being fought against the Soviet Union. Um, it was, uh, and, and these things are all online. I think it's, I think it's Peterbeeter.com, um, which I, you know, let me make sure before listeners go check that. Yes, yeah, it's dot dot com, but PeterBeater. You might B-E-T-E-R. get another website E-R. if it's just PeterBeater. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. B e t e r, um, not b e a t e r. Don't don't put that in. Uh, don't don't show people at a party. Or something. Look at this website; it's crazy. Um, But uh, they have all of the audio letters in MP3 and high and low quality, and also transcripts. So, um, which is pretty amazing, and it's all free, which is which is great. Um, Also, he talked to—I don't know if you guys remember—Sherman Skolnick. Um, He was a judicial activist in Illinois. Back in the 60s, he was part of uncovering some massive bribery scandal in Illinois. But then he, he went on the more political conspiracy beat. He just died probably like 10, 15 years ago. But um, he was uh, he was a pretty big deal. Uh, the guy wrote a book called The Conspiracy Against the Dollar. There's a lot of you know, anti-federal type stuff going on. Russian particle beam weapons, sort of the, the war in space. It's uh, it's wild stuff, and he's got this great voice, this sort of this sort of nasally voice. Um, he reminds me, in both how he looks and how he sounds. If you remember old episodes of Seinfeld, the uh, the rabbi that lived in Elaine's building. If listeners have seen those episodes of Seinfeld, that's how this guy looks and sounds. It's very funny, um, and I can. This is Doctor Beater with audio letter four. You know, so <laughs> it's 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 great stuff. Um, do you have quite Hello, the Ever- collection
0: of of uh, tapes and memorabilia, I, zines and? Books? I
2: I had I had to to get a, another external hard drive recently because I ran out of room for some stuff, and I was like, you know what? Do I need all this? I'm like, yes, I do, because. I mean, the odds that peterbeater.com is going to disappear off the Internet one day are honestly pretty good. I mean, I'm not sure who is maintaining this. Um, but, uh, you know, websites go away all the time. So if they've got, you know, a bunch of MP3s from the 70s, yeah, I'm going to grab those. Same thing with um, anything that uh, that is out there from May Brussels old show. Yeah. She was one of the conspiracy theorists from back in the 70s, a big one of the early JFK assassination researchers who who went in a bunch of different directions. There's some of her stuff out there and I you know, download all the stuff I can cuz you you never know when you might need it. And it's this sounds so sad. It's nice to have on in the background while you're working sometimes just to have this sort of nasally drone about the robotoids in the background (laughs) that 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 honestly might just be me that has to be um, great (laughs) well i I listen to
0: shortwave so i find some weird cult leader or some weird foreign broadcast and just put that on with some noise in the background yeah he does find some weird
2: stuff shortwave shortwave was great one thing that i miss from back in those days was um was public access tv
0: oh yeah i got uh, just, i got into oh, a lot of this stuff from public access tv when i was like yeah. 11 years old i mean
2: yeah i, I remember in, in college my roommate um <laughs> just for fun he had some tapes of uh of um of the the local county militia group had its own uh had its Dang. own public access show where he lived and uh and, and we just watched that it was just like two guys in camouflage sitting on an empty stage with a little coffee table, and a plant in the corner, you we know, had just, a, just, just talking.
0: I remember that they was had a wild, uh, Louis Farrakhan had speeches. They, there yeah. was some kind of like weird right wingers who had a show and they just play all these documentaries. They do like the, I remember the Clinton Chronicle, uh, Clinton Chronicles were on there. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nazi UFO stuff and all kinds of different, different videos and documentaries.
2: Yeah, you know that—that's something that that um, that kids today don't uh, don't really get. Is there was a time when all of this stuff you, you just sort of happened across it. You, you couldn't right. Google search for it. There was no. You didn't see it shared on Facebook or three Twitter. o'clock in
1: the morning. You know, yeah. nothing <laughs> else going
2: on. Yeah, and yeah. and there was no. And even when you found stuff on the internet, there was no Wikipedia. So now almost anything I don't understand I can plug into Wikipedia and get at least some information and some good links to check out. It used to be you had to you know gosh even before Google you know searching for stuff on AltaVista, you know, and in other you know sort of first generation search engines. I I mean it, it not to sound old but man it's so much easier nowadays. Yeah. To to find stuff. Yeah, Peter Beater. I, I'm trying to remember where I first heard about Peter Beater. It might have been. It might. You know what? I think Greg Bishop told me about Peter Beater. That sounds like something some Greg
1: would, you know, <laughs> yeah, would, would talk I about. Think, yeah,
2: I think Greg Bishop, in you know, made me aware of of Peter Beater. <laughs> yeah. And I'll think note. about I trying to think about how to phrase that. <laughs>
1: Aaron, where, where can people uh, get the book and also hear your wonderful um, podcast?
2: if you go to uh, if you go to saucerlife.com, uh there are episodes of the show, over fifty of them now. Oh, nice. um, which is amazing uh that i've had the uh diligence to do that so um all those episodes are there and uh on the right side of the screen as you scroll down there are links to uh to books i uh i've written on amazon that you can find and uh yeah so so yeah saucerlife.com and saucerlife on uh on twitter as well
1: well excellent thank you so much aaron this has been great thank
2: you Um, yeah it's fun
1: Stay on the line for us. So we're gonna close this section out, but guys, we'll be back to close the show on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> back very cool very
0: interesting interview very extensive even though we really just scratched the surface on a lot of yeah
1: that. we really did we didn't even cover what i wanted to really a lot of some of the stuff that i wanted to cover like the hollow earth stuff although we did get to do a patreon episode uh with Juicy. Him on transformation of america
0: and thanks excellent. for the memories
1: yeah yeah. Do you have those books? Do you have one of those?
0: No, I do not. Um I got No, I I think I have both of them on like PDFs. Okay. But they were everywhere back in the days to read them at Tower Books, but they are uh now like I think 60 to 80. dollars
1: I wonder if print, we could so. get Kathy O'Brien on the show. Hey, that'd be I wonder if heavy we could hitter. try. Yeah. Because I, I wonder if they're still in Nashville, because they talk about Nashville a lot, as you'll find out on it's the Patreon episode. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, local people. Local weirdness.
0: <laughs> Very strange. Very strange.
1: You got any thoughts on uh, any of the things that we that we talked about?
0: Oh, it was cool. Uh, There's just so so many and like you said the tentacles of all these conspiracies it's like genealogy like it's like oh you know eventually someone is related to the king whatever (laughs) you know it's like but um it was cool we didn't touch on uh the like international banking stuff or there were some other things we didn't touch on but we it was pretty exhaustive or at least a good overview of kind of the origin of uh conspiracy theory and especially its impact in america
1: right yeah exactly i really like the book just because it came from that kind of historical
0: yeah and it's academic but it's because it's historical it's not like so much of other um you know criticism of conspiracy that comes from academic circles that's just like more uh more political you know more of a bent to it, uh, whereas this was kind of just a historical overview.
1: Yeah. I I have something I want to share. Uh-oh. Uh, this is just, just some random weirdness. So, there is a quote-unquote prophetess out there named Kat Kerr. She is... She looks like a very kindly old lady... And she has a book out called Revealing Heaven. And this is all about, apparently, her trip to heaven. Now, this, I guess, is on the, uh, this, is a, this is a book that's selling in the Christian bookstores. I guess they would probably have it at Lifeway downtown. But here's kind of a description of it uh, from Amazon. God has lifted the veil between heaven and earth. Caught up by the Spirit of God, Kat Kerr was taken on tours of heaven for over ten years and now commissioned to reveal the truth through an illustrated book. The foreword, a prophetic word from God, was dictated to the author by two scribe angels. Through the ten illustrations in Volume 1 of Revealing Heaven, you will visit the portal, where the redeemed in heaven go to view their loved ones on earth. You will see the rush heaven's largest roller coaster, and visit the nurseries for miscarried and aborted babies, and much more. This book also explains God's design for Earth, which is a shadow of heaven. Besides detailed descriptions of the mansion she walked through, Kat shares about three individuals, one a teenager, she saw while in heaven, and how this information impacted their families upon her return to Earth. Prepare to be forever changed and receive hope for eternity. Okay. No. So, a little information about her is while growing up in a family of 15, Kat Kerr worked closely with her father in a lay ministry that helped needy, needy people, widows, and those abandoned by society and are their families. She accepted Christ as her savior at age four, and now, 51 years later, still loves helping people. So far. So good. Kat is a faithful member to her local church and has been involved in many areas of ministry for over 25 years. She is trained and studied under prophetic leadership and operates in a seer anointing. Prior to her experiences in heaven, she worked for 24 years in key positions in the business world and is now president of OneQuest International, which was founded for the purpose of revealing heaven to earth. A mother of three gifted daughters, Kat resides in northeast Florida with her husband of 30 years. The sign on her front door reads, this is a holy place. Heaven is here and you are welcome. And just so happens that I have an audio clip that I would like to share of her describing heaven. So if you're ready to hear what heaven is like, Sergio, I will go ahead and play that.
0: All right. All
1: right. Let's see. May take a little bit of time to buffer.
3: And we already know that there's places in heaven that represent seasons on this earth. You took a shadow of a place in heaven and made it a whole season on this earth, like the winter time. They have Christmas town in heaven. Yes. There's a fun place for you. And uh, the summertime here on the earth, that's the shadow of a wipeout surf park. We can ride 80-foot waves, and you're not going to die. That's the fun part. It's funny how most of these have fun parts. And then there's a mountain of spices in heaven where fall is always there, and you can go on horseback rides up into the beautiful fall area. Every level is another aroma. The mountain of spices is also mentioned in the Bible. You need to find that scripture, too. And so uh, that's another thing that he took a shadow of and made fall on this earth, which we're entering into that season right now. I'm looking forward to seeing it. But I've seen the one in heaven, and it is amazing. And, of course, there's spring. And let me tell you, spring is a shadow of the friendly forest in heaven where the trees sing, the flowers will dance with you, even the rocks cry out and worship him. And also the field with the the copter flowers that's right outside the friendly force by the way as you're entering into the friendly force in heaven you come down this big hill and there's these tall flowers they look sort of like huge daisies yeah but the face of the flower is faced upward into this to the sky and people run down this hill into this field of flowers everywhere they grab the stalk because these flowers are like six foot high, they'll grab it and it takes off into the air and takes them like a flower copter. That's what they call them. And it will carry you from there into the friendly forest. So that's so cool. Because in heaven, the cows drive the tractors. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh, Jen. They love it. <laughs> if you have any children up there, like three and over or two on up. Uh, They always take them to the fun farm because it's where they learn prophetic art. They learn art. They actually have art classes. And this is the wild thing about the fun farm. It's got to be different, right? It can't be like on the earth. Who who are the art instructors? The art instructors. (laughs) I love this part. It doesn't matter. I died a long time ago to myself. I don't have my own opinions. I can only share share what I saw. Right. The rabbits. That's right. Hello. Hello the whole bunny thing and that colored egg thing and looking for them actually comes from heaven. They put all the kids in this big wagon that the cow with coveralls and a farmer's hat drives them to the art barns. This is only going to get better so don't go anywhere. <laughs> this is either giving you a joy in celebration or ammunition. <laughs> don't waste it on us. We don't listen to the blasting stuff. And here come these five and six foot tall rabbits every color of the rainbow you can imagine they have aprons on they have all kinds of things in the pockets that they're going to give out to all the children are so excited because they know they're going to learn art but they don't know what they're going to be doing what kind of art they're going to be doing and before they even arrived these rabbits were busy because they were going out into the fields. They're picking up these eggs. These eggs are like ostrich eggs of that size. They're all white. Every one of them is white. They're putting them in these baskets. So when the kids come, they pass them down the tables. And all the kids take a couple of these eggs out. And then they have a little mat to set them on. And the right. angels then begin to give them the brushes. These are brushes. They look very much like brushes on the earth, except for one thing. They're not sticking them in little containers, plastic containers of paint. <laughs> Because what happens is the, the paint is colored light. It's like liquid light. And they're all different colors, and they appear right in front of the children in the air. And they can take and dip their little brush in it, and they begin to paint these eggs, every yeah. kind of color that is possible. And they put flowers on them, smiley faces. They probably make them into minions. You know, if they currently went there... Currently? If they currently went to heaven, they use all the new stuff that we have. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there were no minions. No. But now there's minions. Of course. So the painting, like, swirls all up and down the egg, rainbows, whatever it is. Then they'll hold it in their hand, and they hear this little sound. And the teacher will take the top part of the egg off and out of that egg... Into the, into the rabbit's other paw will come either a baby chick or a baby rabbit. Yep. And those baby chicks and rabbits will be the identical color of what that rabbit painted the egg. So whatever they paint the eggs as, out will come these right. little chicks and, and bunnies. Yes. From these And then the kids start yelling. They are so excited. They want to finish those eggs. Wouldn't you be... These mushrooms, they get to sit on like seats. Yeah. They all sit on a little mushroom. They find all the children, wow. and they're all facing in one direction because they're going to see a concert of the flowers. And they'll sit there, and these mushrooms, because this is a supernatural place called heaven, they begin to rise up in the air, like the where the, where the uh, mushroom is rooted in the ground, begins yeah. to rise them up into the air, and... Uh, Then the flowers come in this huge field. They begin to grow right out of the ground with faces on them. They begin to swirl around each other. They create a beautiful tapestry of all these beautiful flowers and the flowers begin to sing. Some of them are fun songs and the kids learn them and the kids sing them with them. So if you think your child is not having fun in heaven, you better think twice. It's a whole little city in heaven, made out of Jello. Every flavor of Jello. <laughs> they have pools of cream. They have pools of sprinkles, and you can get the, the Jello. You eat the it's mailboxes. Just like jump in the houses. <laughs> they have swimming pools made out of Jello, and these kids heaven, run. This is so far
0: And they have a
3: roller coaster called the Rush, which is their biggest roller coaster, that goes up this long track. And then it leaps from the track yep. across the sky of heaven down to another part of the track. And then this track goes down under the crystal sea so you can breathe under the water in heaven. And that was where one of my first powerful testimonies came from, that I saw a young girl who had died recently and was living in heaven with her great-grandfather, and he was taking her someplace to have fun, and that's the first time I found out about the rush. He was taking her in to ride yep. the rush
1: okay that's what's waiting for you in heaven
0: i think if i you, think grandma's doctor uh
1: if you believe
0: i think grandma's doctor uh treats her right i think she gets plenty of her uh,
1: yeah i mean is that a vision of heaven or an lsd trip that sounds like uh pepper a little bit to me is what that kind of sounds like
0: yeah
1: uh, you know, we started off the show speaking to Aaron, and of course, we had him back on. And when we first had him on, talking about uh, UFO contactees, and that right there was crazier
0: than anything I ever heard from any contactee. <laughs> I believe that that would qualify as high strangeness. <laughs> that would indeed
1: qualify as high strangeness. Apparently, also she has some prophecies about Trump as well, so yeah, this is uh this is someone to obviously be taking be taken seriously. just wanted to put that out there, so you guys you just found out what heaven is like
0: and it isn't too far away
1: yes right, and it's made of jello or the rivers are made of jello. sprinkles sprinkles and you can make minions and the cows drive the tractors and uh, it's just a great place it's not like what the talking heads said where they said that uh, heaven is a place where nothing ever happens apparently there's a lot going on there all right that's it (laughs) Um, next time Nick Redfern is coming back we're gonna talk about paranormal parasites with him really excited to have him back talking about this um, We have, are going to have a Patreon with Aaron up, and uh, we've had some other Patreons that uh, we're going to have up as well. So you can find that at conspiranor at Patreon.com backslash conspiranormal. So come, give us some money, and uh, maybe we'll tell you what heaven is like. All right sir thank you so much for recording by the way we if you notice rob was not here uh, we are recording back at studio B today so but uh, we are uh, hoping that he will be back with us we, we miss him um, he has not gone to heaven yet so all right we'll be back next time guys on conspiracy